when we become lawyers, we become so separated. We have to be separated completely our emotional self from our intellectual self because we need to be zealous advocates. We need to be someone else's voice. The problem that I see is that no one teaches us how to reconnect those things when we leave the office. You are listening to You Are a Lawyer. I'm Kyla Denanyo, and let's get right into today's episode. So welcome to the You Are a Lawyer podcast, Sheila Wilkinson. So I want to say that you and I connected because we have a good friend, Dana Shaker. Oh, and yeah. So she is out in California. She's from Cleveland. I'm from Columbus, live in Columbus now. And she's like, I really think you two would hit it off. Yeah. We had this whole chat. You ran my human design chart. <laughs> it was a blast, right? And so now we're letting you guys in on our prior communications where we're just going to talk all about Sheila, what she's doing with her coaching business, book yeah. reviews, all of the stuff that you do with helping people, making them become their best selves and being a lawyer, right? Yeah. So will you and tell us a little a bit about what you do? <laughs> yeah, sure. So um, hi, and thanks for having me. I'm like, really, I've been waiting. I've been so excited for this moment to be with you. I think we underestimate how important it is to actually like connect with people, you know, and especially post lockdown world where you meet people and then you forget that, you know, that there was that connection. And so I've been very excited to see you again. So yeah, I am uh, an indigenous girl from South Louisiana, a lover of life and food and joy and a voracious reader, which you've already mentioned about the books. Um, I give all my clients recommended reading lists and I tell them the order in which to read those books because it's very important because there are lessons that you're learning that I mm-hmm. need you to learn in a certain order. Um, and uh, yeah, on the other side, I help others um, a lot, work with a lot of lawyers build their rich, joyful, thriving life and their business and the career that works for them. And so, um, you know, I have two goals every day. I have a one is to make a stranger laugh and two is to be a better person today than I was yesterday. So that requires a daily reflection practice that comes with that, but it's not like a journaling at the end of the day. I can't stand that. Um, but you know, just to like have that space. And so, yeah, so I help lawyers. I work with lawyers with jobs and lawyers with businesses and their own firms sort of reconnect who they are with what they do. And I'm a social worker as well as being an attorney. Um, And so for me, it's all about how all of those kind of pieces come together and helping them reconnect their intellectual self to their emotional self. And so, you know, my purpose, my, you know, my mission is to help lawyers make solid aligned decisions to help them reset expectations, to help them set boundaries, to help them streamline and focus so that they can go in the direction that they actually want to go in. Because most people um, are doing all the things that they think that they should be doing (laughs) instead of the things that they actually should be doing, which is the things that they want to be doing. Right. And, um, you know, most people look externally for those answers, but the work that I'm doing, right, is helping people to know what they actually want out of life. They actually have to look inside themselves. Right. And therapy is part of that puzzle. I'm not working as a therapist when I'm working with lawyers, even though I am a social worker, a licensed social worker, I'm dealing with it from like, okay, there's an emotional piece that we need to reconnect to your intellectual self. And, and and for those lawyers who do have therapists, I give them a therapy list. I'm like, you need to talk to your therapist about this, this, and this in this way. I just need you to say this and they will get it right away and they will help you like quick break through it, you know? And, um, you know, understanding that that's a piece of the puzzle and understanding that the intellectual part is the part that needs to be reconnected to our, our emotional selves. And I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit, but, and that's, you know, where I feel like I can come in as a Socratic guide for Socratic learners. Mm -hmm. Right. And I do this as an attorney, like you said, as a consultant, as a coach, as an educator, you know. Most of the lawyers that I work with are burnt out or very close to it. They're broke and or broken um, or they're just bored. Like, how did I get into this job? Why am I in this firm? But I've already done all this stuff, you know, and um, spent all this money and time and energy. And now what do I do with this? Right. I guess I better just I made my bed. Let me lay in it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that they're doing all the things they're doing all the things that they think they should doing all the things that people told them to do when they 
they're getting nowhere. Yeah. And so, yeah. Okay. So, so much is jumping out at me. For one, (laughs) I have a a really good friend of mine. She's a licensed counselor. I just caught her the other day crying. And I'm like, oh, my God. And she's like, oh, yeah. What did your therapist say? I can't tell her that. She sees me this way. She's like, Kyla, this you're literally paying her. And I'm like, oh, but we don't talk about that. And she's like, well, this has been fun, but please go talk to her about that too. And I'm like, (laughs) okay. Right. Cause she's not my therapist. She's just, she's a licensed counselor for others. She's not my licensed counselor. So Mm -hmm. be transparent and open with your therapist. And if someone like Sheila gives you a list, talk about this and that, and in this order, (laughs) do that. Because I remember when we first started chatting, you know, I've been in therapy for maybe four years now. And I went to my therapist and I'm like, Hey, work is driving me crazy. How can we stop this? And she's going, okay, how was your childhood? No, 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 no. That's not, no, I came here to talk about this. And she's like, yeah, but how you grew up in fact, this. And I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. Right. I was like, I came here to talk to you about this. (laughs) So I love that you wear all these hats, but I mean, I can see how they all work together. Social work. Lawyers are counselors at laws, right? An attorney, being a coach, all of these things do all work together. So I love that you're able to bring all of these different interests under one umbrella um, and serve so many people. Yeah, I love it too. You know, I think it took me a while to make the integration happen. Like because I was so caught up in the titles and when I really recognized and accepted and admitted to myself that I'm not a title, that I'm actually a human, that I'm a human first and a title second. Once I was able to really shift that in my brain for myself, my own, you know, my own mindset and the work that I've done, you know, one of the reasons why I told you I have these two goals every day is because I want to be better. Yeah. Right. And I think most lawyers want to be better every single day. But when lawyers are thinking about being better, they're thinking about it from an intellectual side. They're thinking about it from knowledge and skills. They're not thinking about it from the care that they need to take for their emotional selves. So that way they can show up as the intellectual self that they really truly want to show up as. There's something I was just dealing with earlier today and, you know, full transparency, just got off the couch. I was like, 10 minutes to record with Sheila, you know, pull my hair up, put on some (laughs) eyeliner. But also I've curated a life that allows me to do this, but, um, I'm getting ready and I'm just like, you know what? I was supposed to journal at the end of the day. You said you hate that. I was like, man, I, I don't, I wait and I do it once a week and I go back for the last week. I'm like, what did I do that day? What did I do that day? But for me, it still helps me to get my brain out of like, to stop focusing on all that stuff and get it down on paper so that then I can like at least reread it ruminate over it a little bit and be like, okay, now what did we learn? What was terrible? What can we get from this? Yeah. 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 No, I was just going to say, it's funny that you're saying that you do this at the end of the week because I have my clients do a weekly reflection and a weekly planning and I give them questions so that way they don't have to be thinking about what they're supposed to be writing down, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I know what they need to reflect on so that they know what they need to plan for the week ahead. Like, you know, especially like what's your health focus? Are you, you know, your physical health, your mental, your emotional, your intellectual, your spiritual, your community health, you know, what are you focused on this week? But you don't know that really, unless you've done a a proper reflection to see what you, what didn't work well the week before that you feel like you got off track, whatever. And I think lawyers just give themselves a really hard time. You know, we give ourselves a really hard time because we've got these higher standards, right? Like we have been, we have pushed, we have, we have been pushed to the brink of who we are as humans and professionals, Mm -hmm. right? And this is a big thing about why um, lawyers fear risk, right? Like regulated professionals like us, we have a higher standard. And it's not just us, right? It's lawyers, it's nurses, it's uh, judges and Mm -hmm. doctors and therapists and teachers and, you know, contractors and those sorts of people who have to have a license, right? Who have to have someone to put a little rubber stamp and be like, okay, you're good enough. And anyone who has someone watching over their shoulder, right? Um, Or at least the threat of it, I guess, and questioning whether we're doing something quote unquote right, that creates a level of fear of risk and coming outside of our regular box that what tends to happen is that we just let life we just like let life happen to us Uh instead of being intentional about the life that we want because we're 
and it's i don't think it's always conscious like you're saying like you know you go to your therapist and you're like this is the problem and she's like well let's talk about this and you're like no no <laughs> and this is the this is the value of a coach i could i can say okay i know that you want to work on this and this is one of the things that i think is um certainly different about me is that you know most coaches are saying okay you're at you know, you're at this point, right? You know, you're at point A and you want to get to point B and, and they just help you make a plan for point A to point B. Well, I don't really believe that when you come to me to work with me, that you're actually at point A. Mm. I think you're at a point in your life and that point B is not a destination. Point B is a direction and I want the direction to be up, right? Yeah. But there's a bunch of stuff that has happened that has gotten you to this point that you're in now, right? All of the decisions, your family of origin stuff, your marginalization, your discrimination, like the stuff that has happened to us in our lives. And all of that needs to be sort of sorted through in order to get the clarity about how you got to this point. Mm -hmm. Once you know how you got to this point, then we can say, okay, now you're at point A, now which direction are we going in? And because what happens, especially, I mean, in, in a highly regulated profession like ours, we're like, okay, well, the first thing you should do is take the LSAT and then you go, you, you apply to law school yeah. and then you get into law school and then you bust your butt. So that way you can make the best grade so you can make law review. Right. And so blah, 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 all of these things. And well, once you make law review, then you've got your great grades and then you'll get a good clerkship. And then once you get a clerkship, then you'll get a job right out of law school, but you got to pass the bar for and it's this constant line of now do this, mm -hmm. now do this, now do this, step, step, step. Well, once you become a lawyer, the next thing is, well, I got to be partner as if that's the end all be all for being yeah. an attorney, which is just mind blowing to me because like, no, it's not. <laughs> also, pretty sure you didn't go to law school to be a partner in a law firm. That is definitely not why you went to law school, right? It's probably not. It's probably not right now. If, if that were the case, you probably just opened your own firm and just made yourself managing partner. So anyway, um, anyway, so all of this to say, you know, I think most people just think they need to get to the next space. But for me, I want to know how you got to the space you're in now, because if I don't understand that, you're just going to keep making goals and you're going to keep setting yourself on a path that isn't actually yours to begin with. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think what I respect about that, especially hearing you say it, is that you understand lawyers. And so you would explain to me why talking about my childhood would eventually get us to why I don't like my job now. Right. Right. And for therapy, I'm just like, <laughs> if I wasn't paying you, I would leave. But because I'm paying you and I made the commitment, let's see. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's also like it, it felt too woo woo. You know what I mean? Like I did yeah. give her a chance. I believed in it. I knew I needed it. I call therapy right. maintenance for being alive. Right. I think every single person can go, whether you're yes. rich, whether yeah. you're like, no matter what it is, I don't think you go because you've had this huge trauma or life is difficult. I think it's literally maintenance for being alive. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and it's emotional. It's trying to stay emotionally regulated. It is yeah. because most of the time, you know, my husband is a software engineer, so he's not even a lawyer, but it's still a regulated type industry. Mm -hmm. And we are very used to just I'm OK, I'm OK until you burn out. And I would like to never burn out again. <laughs> I would like to not call Same. my best friend crying and just be like, I've been dealing with this myself. Um, but something I was thinking about while you were talking is that I think with lawyers in law school, we learn that everything is actually gray. It's not black and white. Mm -hmm. And then it pushes us to the other side to try to find black and white. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? We're like, okay, I'll give you that in law school, but now I can control this. And it's like, but you yeah. still can't. But you still can't control that. <laughs> No. And the sooner can. you understand what you can and cannot control, the better. So I have a secular version of the serenity prayer. So mm -hmm. everybody who knows the serenity prayer, it's a, yeah, things I can change, the wisdom to know the difference, right? Well, it's, my secular version is I don't stress out about things I have control over because I have control over them. And I don't stress out about things that I don't have control over because I don't have I control over that. them. <laughs> no. Okay. So if you're watching the video, my hair is in this messy bun type thing. I was going to bleach it this morning. Because I've been kind of spinning out and I'm like, what can I control? I can dye my hair tonight. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, but now you're not in the mood for it being wet and you have to wait for it to dry. But also my husband was like, because there's a box of bleach on the counter. And he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, gosh, wait till the next time I, I need it. I'll probably need it by Thursday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Look, some of us have an urge and a pull and we have a whole body hell yes of like, this is the thing that we need to do. But others, um, let's not. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> um, and for me, it used to be tattoos. Like I went and got my first tattoo. I was there with a friend. I'm in law school and they were going to get one. And I showed up and I was like, oh, hey, I would love this. You know, I explained what I wanted, Shape of Ohio with a word in it. Can we get it? I'm getting it done. And they're like, how many other tattoos do you have? Oh, it's my first. And they were like, oh, you're in trouble. I had eight before the year was out because I oh. loved, <laughs> I loved, like it gave me singular thought. This was 2014. So before ASMR was a big deal, the sound of the buzzing needle, I would literally sit there and read a book. We would order pizza. It was yeah. so like singular it made my mind just like focus on what they were doing the whole time I loved it nice so now it's Love dying that. hair and all the rest and I probably should bring this up with my therapist too but <laughs> yeah um, you might want to add that to go ahead and add that to your list add and then I want and, it, and it's important to understand when it came up mm -hmm. and about what right I mean and I think what happens generally is that we don't make a well not that we're here to talk about therapy necessarily yeah. but when we when we're thinking about going to our therapist we're like okay I need to remember to talk to my therapist about that well, the day of, you're not, you're going to be feeling fine, right? It's like taking your car to the mechanic. It's making a noise. It's making a noise. But as soon as you get it to the mechanic, it's not going to be making the noise anymore. And part of making sure that you're taking notes and you're, and you're reflecting back on what's working and what's not working is so that way when you do show up at the therapist's office, you can say, or, you know, Zoom or whatever, because I still do mine, you know, uh, remote. Okay. Um, I love it. It's amazing. Um, is that then you have a list to say, okay, this is a thing that happened in this context. And this came up for me, as opposed to how are you doing? Oh, well, I'm, I'm good. Everything's good today. Today, mm -hmm. things are fine. Right. But also because we are in these highly regulated industries, we're supposed to be like, we recognize that there is a moment that we're about to be quote unquote on. And the, it does not matter how much we try the performative piece of being on and and showing up the way we believe we should be showing up it will carry over into therapy too mm -hmm. and this is one of the things that for me you know being able to work with a, with lawyers as a lawyer is to be able to say right just i don't need you to explain that msj to me like let's go like what what what's going on in the litigation yeah. that's coming up that's you know that's preventing you from you know xyz making that argument that you really want to make because you're afraid to say the thing that really truly needs to be said but you're afraid to say it and you won't say it in court right like what what is that and it's not just litigators right mm -hmm. like i work with in-house counsel i work with vps of banks like you name it right and but the the issues are all the same mm -hmm. at the end of the day it's about their intellectual self not being connected to their emotional self and then trying to do that because for me sort of my perspective is that you know, when we're born, our intellectual self and our emotional self are connected, right? We're babies. We don't know any better yet. And then we grow up and we start learning that we're supposed to disconnect our intellectual from our emotional and disconnect our emotions. So that way we can look at something, quote unquote, logically and rationally. And there, there's nothing wrong with that per se, right? We need emotional regulation, not a problem. But what happens, I find, is the more education you have the more separated you become from who you are and your emotions as a, as a, as a human. Right. And generally speaking, people who aren't regulated. So those who just have undergrads or they, you know, have some sort of degree that doesn't require licensure regulation in some way, they don't have as high of a jump to take risks okay. because they're an appropriate amount of separated, <laughs> but when we become lawyers, we become so separated. And this is what I call the big L, right? Like we become so separated that we have to be separated completely our emotional self from our intellectual self, because we need to be zealous advocates. We need to be someone else's voice. The problem that I see sort of in the profession at large is that no one teaches us how to reconnect those things when we leave the office, mm -hmm. when we turn off our computer, when we walk out of court and we go to lunch and we are thinking about all the things, right? We, we forget how to human. We're just trying to get through the day and survive the next day and the next day and the next day. And then by the time we finally get to a place where we're like, okay, I'm going to take a vacation. You take a week off, maybe if you're lucky, two weeks, if you're, if you're 
adamant about it, but it takes four, five, six days to decompress yeah. enough where you can actually relax. And then two days go by and you're like, oh, now I got to start getting ready to go back to work. And so that week or that two weeks isn't truly restorative, right? And so for me, it's about helping lawyers build their thriving lawyer lives now. Yeah. And create those structures so that way they can have that and they don't need to have a completely insane vacation where it's just like, I'm completely unplugged. I'm on the European continent. You can't call me. <laughs> now, I live on two continents, so that's fine. I'm happy to do that, right? But like, we don't have to go to crazy extremes because your day-to-day -day life is built the way you want it to be built. Yeah. You know? And if we're honest... Six or Less, seven please. days of relaxing does not make up for the other 50 weeks Correct. of madness. I mean, Correct. your body, the strain, the mental strain, all of the stress. And I keep hearing what a guest last season referred to, you know, as you're talking about law school and, and it's going from one thing to another. They called it the lawyer conveyor belt because mm -hmm. you're just moving like LSAT to this, to this, to this. And it actually might even start with someone first telling you you're great at arguing or yes. you saying hey, I would love to wear a suit or, oh, that looks interesting. And then slowly you're on there. And people, I want to say that they have good intentions, right? Oh, we're so proud of you. We would love it if you kept doing that. And you stop or you forget to keep asking yourself, do I still want to do this? Okay, the LSAT was kind of hard. Do I still want to keep going? You know, I saw a little, um, I was on social media earlier today and it said, there was a little post and it was like, it's not hard. It's just your first time doing it. Change your perspective. And I was like, or it's hard and it's my first time doing it. Right. <laughs> and then I was like, you know what? You don't need to argue with a post. Just don't repost it. <laughs> but it really made me mad because I was like, no, two things can exist at once, right? Um, but all of this to say, Sheila, were you a social worker first or a lawyer first? No, social worker first. Okay. So I did my undergrad in sociology with a minor in women's studies. And so I was already sort of in the in the field, quote unquote, the field of like systems and structures mm -hmm. and how our systems as a society work and don't work and how they're dysfunctional and not just, you know, governmental systems, but, you know, family systems and community systems, those sorts of things. And then did my master's in social work. And I never wanted to do one-on-one -on -one clinical work for exactly the, the point that you made earlier. It's like, I want people to take action. There is a place for us to be considering our childhoods and, you know, all of that stuff and our emotions and like the deepness that comes from an expectation that you now have about yourself or about others, which we can talk about in a second. There is a place for that. But I didn't want to do that work because I wanted to take action on the information that I know is real right now. Okay. Right. And so for me, it was never like, okay, this is how I'm going to go be a one-on-one -on -one therapist. But, you know, as you said, we're all counselors of law, right? Like, <laughs> so nobody tells you that when you go to law school that you're actually going to be counseling people, right? Um, what I really wanted to do was to affect the chain, like affect the systems that control and oppress and exploit us. And that the better way for me to do that wasn't as from the social work perspective, but to do it from the legal perspective, because then I could actually be inside the system that I want to affect change in. Yeah. And um, yeah, so it's definitely, uh, I'm not going to go down a rabbit hole there, but <laughs> just to say, I think it's um, for me uh, an understanding how the system works. That was really important. And I look, I don't litigate anymore, but I, I love, I love litigating. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love being a beast in the courtroom. What I do not love is what I have to be in my personal life in order to be a beast in the courtroom. And for me personally, right now, I have clients who are litigators and they're beasts in courtrooms and they have perfectly lovely now joyful, thriving lives, mm -hmm. but it's a practice. And there are lots of pieces of the puzzle that we're constantly trying to put together and tweaking and experimenting with until we find the right, you know, sort of um, 
the right clarity that people need so that way they can do the thing that they need to do so yeah. they can have the conversations they need to have with their bosses and their partners and you know their kids and you know their communities about the support that they need because lawyers don't like asking for help because we want to prove right uh -huh. that we know what we're doing and that we have worth and value and to to your point about the conveyor belt most lawyers are told when they're younger you know, oh, you, you, that was an excellent argument. Maybe you should be a lawyer when you grow up. And your little six-year-old, seven-year-old self goes, oh, yeah, maybe I could be a lawyer, right? And then it's stuck there forever. Mm -hmm. And you don't even realize it. I mean, I, I have retirees or people who are on the verge of about to be retired who are like clients who, who literally said, I've been a lawyer my entire life. I don't know what to do with my time. Who am I? Yeah. What am I going to do? How am I going to spend my days? And I don't want to die. Right. And, you know, like a shark in a water, like if they don't keep going, then what else is they will there? Die. Yeah. Right. And, you know, helping them get clarity about that too. So, and it's not, it's not just retirees, you know, I'm working with 20 year olds who got into the, the law and they're like, this is horrible. And they're two years in, they're like, also student loans. I'm like, it's fine. We'll make a plan uh -huh. for that. We got that. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So when you were way back, like before you were a social worker, before you were a lawyer, did you ever think that you were going to run a business? Oh, I've always run businesses. Oh, okay. So okay. I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family. And so my father was a salesman. He could sell. So both my parents died. My dad, when I was 12, my mom, when I was 16, I raised my sister who's eight years younger than I am. And, um, and my dad was always, he could sell a paperclip to an elephant even. And, um, my mom was a legal secretary and she had her own transcription service. And so I was around lawyers a lot as a kid. Um, but I was also in a very entrepreneurial family. Mm -hmm. And so I always had like little tiny business things that I was doing as a kid, you know, and not just like the lemonade stand, like I would yeah. make things and, um, it's funny. I never thought that I was a creative person until I realized that I was a creative person. And um, yeah. And so it, that was kind of instilled in me very early. You know, one of the things that my mother used to say to me when I was very young is that never to never be in a position where you can't walk away financially, physically, emotionally, mentally, you need to be able to walk away, whatever that is. Right. And that sort of instilled in me right away. Like, okay, I need to be able to be secure and self-sufficient for myself and know that I will always be okay mm -hmm. because I have myself that I can rely on. Right. And, um, and so I, yeah, so I never, I mean, I always had that like entrepreneurial spirit. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to me to see how like my hybrid practice has evolved in the way that it has. Um, I, I have run a lot of businesses. I have built a lot of businesses, multi-million dollar empires and have walked away from them. Um, I built a multi-million dollar law firm and spent a good 10 years building it to that. And um, I had to walk away from it, chose to walk away from it because the lawyer who owned the firm had promised me essentially that it, um, when I became barred that I would have own half of everything and that obviously I couldn't have the legal fees and yeah. have any ownership and I wasn't a lawyer, but that when I became barred that I would be able to, my name would be on everything. I'd own half of everything that I had spent the last 10 years of blood, sweat and tears building. And then when it came time to it and I got barred and I said, okay, let's do it. And he was like, yeah, we're not doing that. And so I said, okay, well then peace out. Yeah. <laughs> but I was already in the middle of a plan. Yeah. I was already in the middle of a five-year plan. And so I didn't just go and blow up my life. I, I had a plan about how, what would happen. And I had some, you know, plan A's, plan B's yeah. um, that I knew that I needed to do for myself. And so when that happened, um, I, when I realized that this was not going to happen, let me rephrase, I opened, I just created my own firm, did everything, and then gave him one last opportunity to do what he said that he would do, right? This goes back to the being partner isn't the uh, end-all be-all. Yeah. And when he said no, I said, okay. And I just walked right out, had five job offers before I got in my car, and yeah. uh, said no to all of them, 
and took three months off. I slept, you know, you want to talk about burnout. I was working 100, 120 hour weeks. It was, I was so burned out. So, so, so burned out. And at the end of the day, I, I walked away from it. And I'm glad that I did that. Like that was one of the best decisions. It was the best day yeah. of my life. January 21st, 2010, the best day of my life. And uh, that doesn't even include my wedding day. And, you know, for me, it's, um, I want people to know that they can make changes. They don't have to be afraid of taking a risk. Yeah. Like it will be okay. We will make a plan. If you're worried about money, we'll make a financial plan. If you're worried about support, we'll make a support plan with you. But let's not blow up our life or go from one toxic firm to a little less toxic firm because that's still toxic. And let's just make a plan for the thing you actually want out of your life yeah. and not the thing that you think that you're supposed to be doing, like you said, because you've been on this conveyor belt, right? Yeah, I yeah. think that is so powerful. And I've, I've recently started to pay attention to all the risks that I've taken. I think you and I talked about it a little bit. Um, especially when we were doing my human design chart and you're like, oh, that yeah. makes sense that you do this. And that makes sense because, you know, I bring lawyers on here. I thought this was going to be a, I hate the bar exam podcast. And it turns out to be, I talked to people who love the law, but they had to create what they wanted it to look like. I talked to people who never practice. I talked to people who practice and do hybrid things like you. And what I find so fascinating is that everyone has taken a risk. They've either taken a risk by becoming a podcaster or taking a risk by doing something else while they're already a social worker, right? I'm sure by all, I don't know. I'm sure people definitely thought that you were successful when you already were a social worker. You're like, okay, I'll just do something else as well. Yeah. Really? Absolutely. Why? I don't, why? Because I'm going to take a risk. Now, you probably didn't say that. But you're like, because I want right. more, right? I'm working at a law firm. and I'm like, this is fun, but right. I keep meeting all these really cool lawyers. I want to talk to them on, on my podcast. Why? Why not? <laughs> Why not? But it really was right. taking a risk, and now it's turned into this whole thing, right? And it's inspiring to hear you talk about businesses that you've grown and that you've walked away from voluntarily, not just you couldn't make it, you couldn't cut it. You were a terrible yeah. business owner, and you voluntarily were like, okay, time for another season. Yes. That's very good to hear because – the podcast audience is young lawyers, so five years practicing or less, or law students. And I know they're going to be listening and be like, wow, I would love to have all of the experiences that Sheila has had if I just continue to take risks, ask myself questions, right? Is this really what you want? Or possibly even reach out to a coach, because everybody has a blind spot that we can't even see. I mean, I have coaches. I have a therapist, right? I, I have people that I work I You have to. You yeah. have to have someone... And, and it doesn't have to, you know, it, it. you have to have somebody that's not preferably someone who is not personally invested in your outcomes. And this is the thing that the thing that most people think, well, it's fine. I'll just talk to my friend about that. Or I'll just talk to my friend who went to law school with me or, you know, and we'll, we'll figure it out together. And it's like, yes. And you need an unbiased opinion. Mm -hmm. You need somebody who's invested in you as a human and who cares about your success but who doesn't have an investment in the outcome of what happens because some of the decisions are, you know, like for instance, I had a, um, uh, a partner at a law firm who we had a consult. She, you know, we eventually worked together and she came to me and she thought I need to quit my job. You know, I'm about to have my second child. I need, I have to quit my job because I can't do this. And our work together was okay, but why do you think you can't do this? Like, what is what what's actually happening here? And at the end of the day, she didn't actually need to quit her job. Mm. <laughs> she just needed clarification and clarity and words and articulation around her expectations to communicate the expectations that she wanted other people to have of her. Right? I don't want, and this is and this is to the to your point of you know law students and younger lawyers. Most of the younger lawyers that I work with are, and so that partner, right, she's in her 40s, but most lawyers that I'm working with when they're younger, they're, they just have done all of the things and they, they see that burnout's coming. Mm -hmm. And this generation that's coming through right now does not want that, right? They are like, I see the problem. Yeah. I'm not okay with that. We're not doing that. And for me, I love that. I'm like, hell yeah. Like, let's not yeah. do that. Because I will tell you the day that I said, so it was early COVID. 
I had been asked to invited to do like a mental health, like a health um, related CEU, uh, CLE for, um, you know, for the bar association here. And I said the thing that I have been wanting to say for years and years, which is that the profession is killing us. Mm. The way that the profession is built is killing us. This is a systemic issue, but that doesn't mean that you have to leave it in order to work within it. You just have to be able to articulate what your expectations are. Yeah. So that way you go into the environments that you need to be in. And so what happens is when these younger lawyers are coming to work with me, they're saying, okay, well, I'm just looking for a less toxic job. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> How about a zero toxic job? Right? Because you don't have to just choose a little less toxic. Yeah. You don't have to move jobs every two years because you're burning yourself out in that job. We, we position you in a way that gives you the questions that you need to ask to know if that's the right organization for you or not. And also there is a ton of stuff that you can do with your law degree. You don't mm -hmm. have to be a litigator. You don't have to be a trial lawyer. And the things that when we're kids that draw us to being a lawyer, especially the stuff we see on TV and the media, we mostly see criminal stuff on mm -hmm. TV because it's more procedural. It's quicker. They can kind of get through it and you don't have to get into like the, you know, the, the details and the of settlements and all the procedure. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and so we see that and we're like, Oh, that, I want to do that. Right. But you're not actually doing that. Most of being a lawyer is being alone. Mm -hmm. Most of lawyer is being at your office in your office by yourself, staring at a screen, trying to figure out what you're going to like. Right. Right. And we're not honest about what it takes to actually be a lawyer. Yeah. Right. And we need to be more honest about that, but we need to be more honest before people get to law school, <laughs> but we need to be honest with it in law school. And we need to be honest in it from a personnel, from a recruitment perspective yeah. when we're working, you know, with law firms. And so having the questions that, you know, you're going to ask every single in every single interview and know what those red flags are for you, because my red flags are going to be different than yours, Kyla, right? They're going to be different than Dana's. They're going to be different. Everyone's got different red flags. And so when we're Googling questions to ask for a first interview at a law firm, those are not the real questions right. you need to be asking. And, but we are afraid to most lawyers are afraid even law students, uh -huh. they're afraid to ask the questions that really matter to them because of sunk cost fallacies, yeah. because they've put in all this time and all this energy and all this money, and they don't want to quote unquote blow uh -huh. it. I remember when entrepreneurship got really hard and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to just going to take a little part time job. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. This is after law school, after the podcast. I'm like, OK. And I go to an interview and they want it like an administrative assistant. And I'm, you know, I'm like, well, what was your last assistant like? Oh, I didn't have one. Everyone thinks I should have one. Everyone thinks you should have one. So would you be receptive of me telling you stuff to do or it's time for this meeting? I don't know. Okay. No one has ever asked them that. And therefore, I don't want this job because you are not going right. to listen to me. And I was just, right. but those are the kind of questions most people won't ask because they don't want to know. They just want to be like, oh, I get right. to be partner after, you know, I build 2,500 hours. Oh, in a year? 2,500. Jesus. Oh, in that a sounds, year. That sounds horrible to me. <laughs> right? And so, you know, we don't talk about those things, but it is a, I don't know what to, I don't know what to call it, but I know that if I was dating someone and they did not disclose all of these things to me, I would feel like they were being untruthful, yes. like they pulled the yes. wool over my eyes. If you, if I walk into it and you tell me, hey, this is going to be fun. You're going to get to learn about all these laws and you could probably bill all this time. Are you still yeah. interested? It would be a different conversation. Some people would still, with their eyes open, walk into it. I don't yeah. think that most people would. And at least yeah. we need to present the fact that there's options, right? Yes. Yeah. And I think, and it's, and it's more than options. It's giving people permission to ask the questions that they need to mm -hmm. ask. Because most... This is the thing, especially so to the, to the, and I, and when I say this generation coming out, I don't mean that in a bad way, yeah. right? Like I'm freaking excited <laughs> because this generation is going to be taking over, right? Old guard is going away. They are retiring. And so that means that the structures that are in place that oppress and exploit us can come down. 
They can be managed. They can be shifted. They can be changed. They can be transformed into what actually works for us in a way that allows us to serve our clients the best way that we know how to serve our Mm -hmm. clients. We are experts. We're experts in the law. We're experts in what we know our clients need. And a lot of time, especially when they're, when lawyers are younger, they're afraid to use their voice. They're afraid to say, well, actually, I don't think that I think that we should be looking at this case in this way, in this manner. And I think we should be making this argument, at least as an alternative argument. They don't want to say that because they are trying to people please and trying to fit into the mold that they believe that they're supposed to fit into based on all of the years of expectations that they've been given about the role of, quote unquote, the title of what an attorney does or does not do, especially a young attorney, what they do and do not do. And so for me, everything comes down to expectations, Uh right? Like there are four types of expectations, expectations that we have of ourselves, expectations that we have of others, expectations that others have of us, like explicitly said that they have of us. And then the fourth one, which is where all the icky stuff is, the the stuff I love, let's be honest, um, is the expectations that we think others have of us. Yeah, like the shoulds. And those, the shoulds, the woulds, the coulds, like... I have to, I must, I, um, you know, those, those things that they're just assumptions, Uh right? They're fake. They can be let go. And the sooner to kind of pull that thread back from the therapy piece, the sooner you start seeing that the expectation that you think that others have of you is actually not real. Then you see the emotional piece that is then connected to whatever thought process that is, Mm -hmm. then you're able to detangle it, untangle it, and then put it back together in a new way. And when you're able to do that, then you can change your mindset. You can shift. I don't like to use buzzwords like that because I don't, I don't want people to think like, you're a mindset coach. I'm not right. Like I am a human helping you human. Right. And also be a lawyer. Yeah. Right. And most people think that they're doing the things that they want to do. But in reality, the expectations that we have of ourselves are just actually messages that we've received from everyone else our entire life. And we've incorporated them and internalized them as if they belong to us. And that's not real. And so I get retirees or people who are about to retire going, who am I? Because they've worn a title their entire lives Mm -hmm. and never, ever thought about who they are outside of outside of a title. Yeah. Right. They're a lawyer. They're a dad. They're a mom. They're a sister. They're the titles and the roles that we think that we're supposed to play in our lives. The sooner you can let go of the title, the sooner you can start actually seeing who you really are. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So did you discover this work because you were struggling with it yourself? Or did you just think there's an interesting way to put these two together? Like how did your coaching how did it create, how did you create it? Where did it come from? That's a very good question. Um, I think that I've always been a coach my whole life. I've always been a guide. I've always been a cheerleader. I've always been the person that people came to when they needed to fix a problem, right? Like, oh, Sheila knows everything. She <laughs> she can tell us how to fix it, right? Now, they didn't like it when I was bossy and told them yeah. what they needed to do, but I've learned to just let the request for help come to me instead of barreling towards something that does not belong to me. And I work a lot with clients on that is like, that's not your problem to pick up. Do not pick up that problem. Well, but, but no, do not pick up that problem. It does not belong to you. Right. And so the coaching piece, like what it has evolved into now for a very long time, I had a difficulty integrating the titles the social worker, the lawyer, the educator, the consultant, because I was trying to find the thread between the professions. Mm. And it wasn't until I realized that I am the one inside of the professions. And I am the one who puts on that hat or takes that hat off. And therefore, the only thing that actually matters is who I am. And so once I was able to distinguish that for myself, and I, you know, like I said, I've always had therapists. I had a badass coach therapist who I miss her so much. We lost her 
um, a while back, but I'd love her, right? Like she, like, what would Nadine say? Like Nadine would say, well, what do you want to do, Sheila? What do you want to say? And I want to say, you know, I, I blah, 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 and I just, you know, blah, you know, let it all yeah. out. And she'd be like, okay, well just say that. And I'm like, I can't say that. And she's like, well then tell, you know, and, and I'd say, I don't know what to say. And she said, well, tell them all to go fuck themselves. I'm like, I can't say that. And she'd be like, okay, well, what's the next reasonable thing to do, Sheila? And she was such a badass, right? Like she was all about, but she was a nurse and she was a social worker, right? Like, so she was able to navigate that as well. And she could see the regulation of that piece. And, I, you know, Nadine's a big part of who I am. Um, and so this coaching piece came out of lawyers coming to me for over 23 years now wow. who have come to me and said, I need help. Can you help me? And I, so I live in two continents. I don't know if I actually said that earlier. So I, I split my time between New Orleans and Brussels and Belgium. And, um, and I started, when I started studying abroad, I was like, okay, this is it. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is my life going to be life, my life forever. And what was happening is that people were coming to me and saying, Hey, Sheila, I see that you're like living on two continents. How are you doing that? And I want to do that too. Can you help me? And I'm like, yeah, of course I can help you. Except I've always done that. Right. Mm. So when people have come to me for help, I've always been like, yeah, let's just make a plan. Like, what do you want? What do you want it to look like? Who, you know, who's coming with you? And like all of the, the Socratic, right. The details of all of the pieces that need to happen in order to make the thing happen. And, um, and it's just evolved into that. And for me, certainly COVID was a good thing. Like COVID was obviously a curse, right? But it was also a blessing in a lot of ways. I was already about 90, 95% fully virtual in my mm -hmm. business. Um, COVID helped me let go of like the, the in-person stuff. And I'm never, I'm never going back to in-person. Yeah. If I want to see a client, I will go see them. But if I have to see a client, they're not the right client for me. And I need, I, but I'm very vocal about that, right? It's like, if you expect me to show up in your office, that's not going to happen. If we have to have a conversation across the table in order for you to work with me, that's fine. There are lots of other people out there who can help you. Um, and so the coaching piece was always something that I, this is, and it's funny because I, I, I've realized this, but every time I say it out loud, it's still like mind blowing to me because of the way that we have been taught to people, please, mm -hmm. and quote unquote, add value is that I always coached my clients, my legal clients, mm. my, my students, right? Like I, I teach as well at the university. I've always coached in addition to providing legal services. So I was always a lawyer's lawyer. Yeah. Lawyers would come to me with a legal problem. People would come to me with a legal problem, but they would stay for the coaching. But it was always a value add. It was never something that stood on its mm -hmm. own. And COVID allowed me to rearrange the way that I provide services and provide them in the way that felt most holistic for me to make sure that everybody gets their needs met. I get my needs met, right? But that when clients come to me that I've said, I can say, okay, this, you need this and you need this and you need this, like a little a la carte or whatever, or to create that thing that they need to meet them where they are. Um, that's the social worker mm -hmm. in me is meeting clients where they are. Yeah. Right. And not expecting them to already be somewhere that they're not. Lawyers aren't taught that. Right. And so I'm going to say that it was kind of always this way, but it wasn't formalized until, you know, like super formalized, more formalized until maybe about five or six years ago. And then COVID like really like yeah. fixed it for me where then it was a lot more, you know, it was more, um, I don't want to say it, it was simpler, more streamlined, focused in a way that I can articulate it. It was probably yeah. simpler. It was probably easier for other people to understand, easier for you to even package. Mm -hmm. Because I don't yeah. know, I mean, I'm sure coaches were around 23 years ago, but it was probably more in like the strictly athletic coach, swim coach kind Correct. of ideal. Not like, you know, even when you said mindset earlier, I did a minor cringe because I know it's cringy, it is, right? but it wasn't gross. <laughs> I remember, you know, like 15 years ago, people would just say you had a paradigm shift. Right. It wasn't always mindset. And so we have these yep. trends of what's what's hot now and what's not. But 
Paradigm is a word I use a okay. lot. It's like, that's a pair. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. But I think that's also a social work piece mm. of the paradigm and like the sociological, like, but what, what lens are you looking at this through? Yeah. You're looking through it with this lens. That's a paradigm. We just need to shift the lens. It's not that, you know, and so I don't like, and this is, so this is, I just pulled up your chart while we're talking, Kyla, you and I are five lines which is the practical, the streamlined, the focus, the not following the general way of doing things yeah. um, out in the world. And to be that, to be that for others and to be able to say the thing that everybody wants to say, plus you've got that two line. So you've got that genius, you've got that hermit. So you're going to be looking at things in a different way. And I think, you know, and this is another, another big piece that had, has definitely happened with me in the last five years or so is discovering human design. And I use it as a tool for reflection with my clients, not because, um, you know, like I have my framework, I have all of those things, but th we have to have, we have to have something that allows us to reflect even when the other person isn't in the yeah. room, right? Like when we're not sitting in our session, you know, working through that thing. And, um, and so that those not self themes are so important. And, to be able to see like, I'm frustrated and I'm okay. Why am I frustrated? Most people think, well, I'm frustrated because so-and-so is being a, you know, a jerk, right? Um, you know, the opposing counsels, you know, not giving me the papers that he knows he needs to give me, blah, blah, blah. That's not actually why you're upset. Yeah. That's why you think you're upset, but actually it's because you feel unworthy and undervalued. And, and instead of, you know, confrontation about this thing that you need from that you're avoiding the confrontation and you're avoiding the truth that he's trying to steamroll you right H having those words to be able to articulate that human design has been able to help me to help others to articulate the things that they need as well you know yeah. and so it's been good yeah and i mean i love that we have that tool because saying the things finding that secondary emotion that's the hard part Right. Yeah. Nobody wants to say, well, I really feel devalued, but I guess I shouldn't feel devalued because I'm only working with him for this case. But it does matter. Right. Who wants to say that? But that's really what's happening. <laughs> so Hey everyone, this is the end of part one of my conversation with Sheila Wilkinson. Sheila and I spoke for so long that I had to split the episode up into two parts, okay? So make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can listen to part two of my interview with Sheila Wilkinson on the You Are Lawyer podcast. Bye.